Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio and on sbnationradio.com, where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Well, there's a lot as we've entered the new year now, and it's January 2nd, and it doesn't even feel like it. feels like it's, I don't know, second or third week into January. It's one of these things, I don't even know, maybe it's just me, but the new year is already wearing down. And there's a lot of things happening with the bowl games that continue to reward you with mediocrity. And, of course, we head headfirst into this weekend with four big NFL games, some stuff sprinkled in in the backdrop, including, of course, one of the worst New Year's Eve performances we've seen probably in the history of watching the ball drop. There's a pretty interesting futures bet that's out there that still has some value, but I wonder now, based off of this new report that I want to get to coming up, in five minutes when we have more time to breathe about who the odds on favorite is in Vegas and the books around, you know, here in Philadelphia. So it's legal in PA, the books around the country versus the sports writers, the experts, the analysts, the people that are paid to discuss versus the people that are paid to set lines. And I'm always fascinated when you find not necessarily a stark, in this case, contrast, but somewhat of a contrast here in which you have a team that is generally favored by the writers, the TV talk show hosts, the people that have played the game versus when you look at the odds. And that's happening right here where I am in Philadelphia. And it's not just the local faces, it's not just the local voices like myself who are, oh, Eagles, Eagles, yeah, this is is an Eagles win. I'm looking at everybody except the people that set the odds that believe that. Now, they're not always right, but there's a reason why the casinos are the biggest buildings in the cities in which they're legal. Just saying, there's something to it. We'll look at that coming up, the difference between The love affair with the Ravens and the Saints. Hopefully you jumped on New Orleans now. Scratching beneath the surface. It's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. So I mentioned that there's this contrast really if you look at it the love affair that you'll see with the odds makers the bookmakers versus some and it's not all i can't sit here and say that sports illustrated or a panel of sports illustrated writers represents everybody who's a talking head but it was pretty consistent that the saints We're in the Super Bowl at the very least by a lot of people. Even if some of these writers had them losing, they were still in the Super Bowl. And it was a pretty big consensus pick 
that New Orleans would be either winning this Super Bowl or losing to most likely Baltimore. Somebody, I think, had them losing to the Chiefs, but I can't see that happening. I apologize, but to all the Chiefs faithful out there. But New Orleans was the value a couple of days ago, really. If you looked at some futures where you could get in on the Super Bowl itself, the Saints dropped over the last two weeks. They dropped significantly as the pool narrowed, and that's just how things work. If you didn't get in on your Super Bowl favorite, if you didn't place a futures bet on who you think is going to win the Super Bowl before the playoffs, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you can always get some value on some outlier. Hell, if you want to put some money down on the Seahawks at plus 25 or even the Packers or Patriots, which might be somewhat more realistic, Patriots at plus 1,000, Packers at plus 1,200, the Saints were the real value because, I don't know, maybe 10 days ago, you could have gotten the New Orleans Saints around plus 800, and they were bet and bet to plus 600, and I saw them at plus 600 and thought, you know, this is probably going to be it because once the playoffs start, it'll be bet down even more. You'll have these pundits come out as we see the Sports Illustrated folks, the talking heads on all the favorite TV shows that nobody watches but everybody talks about on social media. So, yeah, you'll get all of that. But the value was there in that – even still at plus 550 where you haven't lost a ton, you can still get something back. Now, this was Christmas Day, so it wasn't even back as far as technically I thought it was. But even still, Christmas Day, before you still had the final week of the season where some things needed to pan out, they were at plus 600. They've dropped a little bit. They'll continue to drop as you get closer, especially after they win this weekend and cover against the Vikings. But we'll get to that coming up. Now, bottom of this hour, 1040 Eastern, we'll go up to New England. Our buddy Brian Phillips uh, runs the SB Nation site up there for the Patriots. He'll join us as there are a couple of nuggets of insight. That's the game really to watch for the most right now as far as from a, a betting and even from a fan perspective because, as we know, the Patriots are the team to hate. The Patriots are going to be the team that everybody's going to stop what they're doing to see if, in fact, the Titans can knock them off. That line, if you look at it from five and a half, five, four and a half, has moved a little bit. I'm not sure how much it'll move by kickoff, but still, that's the most intriguing as far as the team itself. But it, what I love to see this, and this happened a couple of days ago leading up to today, even through the day before we got on the air, is now you start to see people pile up with predictions. And now you start to see the columns being written, the television shows being produced, the radio shows, idiots like myself on, ah, this team's going to win this. I got the Saints because of the value. And it's not so much about do I believe the Patriots can't or the Packers can't. I'm definitely not sold on the Green Bay Packers doing anything. And no, this is not going to be one of those teams that somehow flies under the radar, and they really have. Not to say that somebody should be fired, et cetera, and then they were backs against the wall. It's a brand-new brand head coach up there, at least. 
and Aaron Rodgers dealing with a new coach, new system, et cetera. We've seen injuries to the wide receiver position, but that team has flown under the radar. As good as their record may indicate, they've had some suspect losses and even still beating everything you needed in a not meaningless game, but still to pull that thing out against the Lions doesn't really inspire much confidence. Niners are going to be chalk, and that'll bet down. The Chiefs are miraculously back in this thing simply because Pat Mahomes is healthy. But, of course, we know the majority of this money and what will continue to be looked at as the odds-on favorite, no matter how much people bet the Chiefs, the Niners, or even the Saints, the Baltimore Ravens. And that's where the difference makers really are in the people who make the odds and people at the books versus just talking about this thing, just throwing something out there. Now, to be fair, the Patriots-Packers is really the line. Nobody's. It happened two years ago. I was here. I'm thankful for it. I can die a happy man. But outside of watching a parade of my Philadelphia Eagles march down Broad Street, plus 3,300, Vikings at plus 4,000 along with the Titans, the Texans and Bills at plus 5,000 each. These aren't bets that you would consciously make, that you would make as a smart sports better, thinking, hey, I'm going to get some true value here. That's 50-to-1 shot horse winning the Kentucky Derby. Pulling the Houston Texans out of your ass winning the Super Bowl is about as lucky as I think you can get at this point. So let's be fair here. There is a difference in having some credibility, whatever's left, on the people that are doing these shows and whatever your favorite writer from a fantasy betting or even just a regular analysis standpoint may be, to where you see the Baltimore Ravens. And therein lies the frustration with me because I look at this game here in Philadelphia on Sunday. It's going to be the last one, 440 Eastern. And again, we'll go up to New England in 20 minutes as that Patriots-Titans game by far at five right now, the most intriguing of them all. But even here in Philadelphia, and I have separate my fandom, of course, because the Eagles line once again has been bet down to one and a half. But I've watched this. Ah, breaking news. Okay, so Jason Garrett is officially out. Now we've got a lot here as I was just waiting for the door to be shut. And it looks like this thing has come down. So just to look specifically at the Eagles-Seahawks game, and I'll apply that line of thinking of how you see these odds-on favorites in this year's examples, the Baltimore Ravens, where everybody who makes the odds and everybody who sets these things at the books you go to to place your bets versus the people you go to to trust for analysis. And hopefully you're not coming here for analysis. You're coming for entertainment. But that's the point is that there is such a divide with a team like New Orleans versus Baltimore. And I don't know if it's disrespect to the 49ers or just that the Saints are so much more talented than playoff teams like the Philadelphia Eagles and Seahawks who have been there. Now, we also have something developing with the Indiana-Tennessee. I forget what the hell this is. this the – man, I forget even what the hell this bowl is. But – Tennessee, if you're betting and if you have any action on this, Tennessee has just gone up pending the extra point with 351 left in the fourth. Indiana was up. Tennessee is a pretty heavy favorite at times. 
They were, I think, a three and a half where it closed. So you had the hook. You're still losing that technically. And with 351 left, I'm not so sure if this matters. If, of course, you took Tennessee in the points. If you took the money line or if you took Indiana, it's the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. I knew it was something, something ridiculous. So this, in fact, right now is 23-22, Tennessee leading Indiana. And to my knowledge, it closed at three and a half, looking at it right here. That's crazy because Indiana was covering this thing, will look to finish as a cover pending something crazy, some sort of pick six or fumble recovery in that regard. But three and a half, that's nuts. Tennessee was bet up. This thing opened at one and a half. Tennessee was favored. Give, getting, pardon me, one and a half points when this thing opened and was bet down to where they closed as a three and a half point favorite. And here comes Indiana with 350 left. And for all intents and purposes, and trust me, that is a phrase that I use sparingly when it comes to sports betting. It appears that Indiana has covered this crap bowl. Earlier, Cincinnati, no issues there. Laying the seven and a half, the hook, there's no problem. They obliterated BC. I have a story about that when I get to. But the news now, Jason Garrett, I don't know what took so long. And the analogy is simple. I made this locally. I'll make it here for you when we come back. If you're a fan of The Office, you've already seen this. If you've watched the show The Office, and I mean the old episodes, not the crap ones where Michael Scott leaves and they had to fill this void poorly, of course, which they never wound up doing. But even still, I mean, it's not like the show is fall off an entire cliff level bad, but it's significantly worse. You have to go back to season two. And if you've seen the Halloween episode, I'll expound on this a little bit more. But if you've seen the Halloween episode, this is what's happened. We've just witnessed this. When art turns into life and Jason Garrett finally gets the axe, they decide that he will no longer be part of the conver- of the organization. Conversation, no, he can't escape that fast. But they decide he will no longer be part of the organization. So Jerry and Stephen Jones have decided no more. What took so long? Obvious question. Who's the next head coach? Obvious question. How bad is it really in Dallas? See, that's a little bit of a deeper question we need to look at. It's one thing to see the level of success that the organization has had, the fact that it's been associated with America's team, the revenue that Jerry Jones pulls in, and you know some of that is based off of what they report versus what's actual. But still, it's not like the Cowboys we know are suffering compared to any of these other teams. Be hard-pressed to believe that the Cowboys aren't making money, but teams like the Bengals, Browns, and Jaguars are. But it's way more about the culture itself. And we've talked about culture and how that word can truly shift the public, the perception. It was attempted today in D.C., and it failed. The owner couldn't even get the holiday right. Dan Snyder opened up his press conference. This moron opens up his press conference wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Now, if that's not a troll move, knowing that he's in a full-on lawsuit with multiple people and groups of people. And I'm not saying groups as far as ethnicity. I'm saying groups as far as collections of people about the name 
and he comes out and he makes that quote-unquote faux pas, come on. This guy is not that stupid. He's not that much of an airhead. He did establish some level of success in another world, in another life. Cowboys fire Jason Garrett. Little story about the earlier bowl game, if anybody actually stuck around after that rain delay. At Shander Show is how you get me the Twitch channels up. Maze at Aton is how you follow along tonight. It's SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. As mentioned, we'll go up to New England. I have a couple of questions for Ryan Phillips, who will join us at 1040 Eastern. Stat that popped out about Tom Brady. It's just ridiculous and makes you think, why aren't more people cheating like Tom and Bill and everybody else up there? Somewhat, I kid. Jason Garrett is out. That's the big story. There was a ridiculous faux pas that we'll let you hear coming up in a minute before we break as well. And I mentioned what's gone wrong here in Dallas And it's not just this year, and it's not even the deeper systemic issues. Just take this one specific small instance. And if you want to apply it and try to bootstrap this and say, well, they were waiting, they were waiting, you knew. You knew at some point that Matt Rule is going to play a football game. You knew at some point that Urban Meyer is going to answer the phone or text if you reach out. He didn't even have anything to coach. Jason Garrett out, and what are you waiting for? Who were you waiting for that you would look? You're waiting for Mike Zimmer to get knocked out of the playoffs in order to bring him in? Ron Rivera had absolutely zero shot at the Dallas Cowboys job. If he did, he would have taken it and not rushed to take a job even more dysfunctional, and that would take even more time and effort to turn a team around. You walk into a turnkey operation so long as you can keep some distance between Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and you, and you meeting your, as the head coach and the team. You have some sense of a turnkey operation where all you need to do is show up, don't screw it up, don't piss off the owner, keep Stephen Jones as an ally, And look at the talent that you have on that team. That's part of the reason why it was infuriating for Cowboys fans to watch this team routinely underachieve, especially this year. There is no – look, I say it all the time. I'm biased. It's hard to be objective. We all root for teams. I talk all the time about the team that I root for the most, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles. Hosting a playoff game here Sunday evening against the Seattle Seahawks. The Eagles had no business, zero business, winning the division this year. None. And should have been knocked out of the playoffs two weeks ago by the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys not winning the division is way more of a story than the Philadelphia Eagles rallying to beat four bad teams, including the Dallas Cowboys, mind you and winning this historically bad NFC East division, historically bad for the division itself. That 
is the story. That you had a coach oversee this. That you had a coordinator, Kellen Moore, who was meant to be the next boy genius, oversee this. And they fell flat on their faces. Not even on their ass. They didn't even slip. They just fell flat on their faces. It's impossible to underachieve the way in which Jason Garrett has. So now you look around and think, well, who's it going to be? Who's going to be brought in? But I can't get there yet. I can't get to where it's going to be and who's going to be brought in unless I actually understand why this thing took forever and why this thing was so painful. And it was a painful. That guy should have been gone Black Monday morning, before you wake up and drink your coffee, and I don't care if you're up at 6 a.m. Eastern listening to Tony D, you should have popped your coffee, your Keurig in there, turned on your phone, popped up whatever app you get your information from. That should have been the first thing. Cowboys expected to fire Jason Garrett when business starts, 8 a.m., I don't know, 7.30, 7 a.m., you're talking about a football team. That owner's up all over the place. There is no time. There is no set time. There should be no let's wait this thing out. It's Thursday. Are you serious? It's Thursday at 10.30 Eastern time. This is the equivalent of what politicians, presidents, governors, people in power do. They dump news. Hell, Teams do this as well. This is a design plan right here to try and defer the Jason Garrett firing by as much as possible, hoping that something will happen Friday to knock this thing off front page. I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but it's clearly, you know, part of it is the diffused reaction to it. There's no place to go right now. Okay, you can go to Sports Center. You come here at SB Nation Radio. But there's no comfort. There's no social media on the East Coast is closing down. Your basketball hockey team on the West Coast aside, you're pretty much shutting down. And you would look at this and think, what the hell took so long? It's the Halloween episode from The Office. And Jason Garrett is that guy, Devin. And Michael Scott is Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones is trying to fire Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore's Creed or anybody else that sticks around. And he's looking and he's going back and forth and he can't fire him. And there's that aside where they talk to Michael Scott. They're interviewing after him. And he's like, yeah, I I went hunting. Took me like six hours to kill the deer. That's Jerry Jones. What the hell would take so long? Why? Ron Rivera, guys are Urban Meyer, guys are out there. If you believe in all of this, Matt Rule, guys are out there. Lincoln Riley got his ass served up on a platter. They're out there. All right, as mentioned before we get to Boston, Brian Phillips, we're going to play this again throughout the show, so this will just be your first taste of it. Dan Snyder earlier today could not even get the introduction right when it came to Ron Rivera's press conference. Good afternoon. Um, first off, happy Thanksgiving, to everybody. Today's the beginning of a great new year for the Redskins organization. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know how you can mess that up. How? Happy Thanksgiving. It's January 2nd. 
Look, we're about a week away from talking about whether or not you should still be wishing people a happy new year. And you're out there saying happy Thanksgiving. You could have gone Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Hope everybody had a happy, healthy, and safe holiday. Happy New Thanksgiving. Look, there are two ways to look at this, right? The obvious one is he's a moron, and he has no idea where he is day-to-day on the planet. The deeper one would be that he's out there trolling, knowing, of course, the association of the holiday and the fact that he's dealing with a lawsuit. We'll go up to Boston next. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. So I mentioned there was this stat that popped up. And it's perfect because we can slide in with a lot, of course, not just the accomplishments and career accomplishments that I don't know if anybody's going to hit with Tom Brady. I'm sure at some point it gets old for even Brian Phillips at B Phillips underscore SB is the man in charge editor, senior writer, video Pat's pulpit of SB nation at Pat's pulpit. I'm sure it doesn't it get old, right? I mean, there was this thing that popped up earlier today, Brian, and as always appreciate your time, my friend about how, Tom Brady has more playoff wins than every other playoff quarterback combined, and yeah, we get it. All right, you guys, you guys kick everybody else's ass. All right, we get it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, every day of you know, you you could go, you could come out with one of those three hundred and sixty-five day calendars where you tear off a day every day, and there's a crazy Patriot stat, Is that crazy, right? Crazy Tom Brady stat, you know, like you know, uh, just this decade they had, I think it was uh, two hundred and. 70 or 237 wins this decade. Um, the next closest at a 74% plus winning percentage. And the next closest was the Steelers at 64%, you know, like, like just crazy stuff. That's it, amazing. You know, like I, there's, there's a stat a day for, for, for how this dynasty has been over the last 20 years. I don't know if you have it, but I'm sure that there is some stat or there's some data about Bill Belichick going up against, first-time quarterbacks in the playoffs, especially if they're rookies or just in general first-time quarterbacks, like in this case for Ryan Tannehill, his first playoff appearance as a starter? Oh, you know, I just saw something on that. I think it was a couple days ago. Um, you ha- you'd have to assume it's, it's fantastic. Because, I'm sure. You know, he dominates, their, their, right? Their, play- their playoff <laughs> record in general is, you know, is, is, is so good. Um, but I, I think uh, – it's gonna be. It's it's one of those weird things. It's it's, it's such a, a weird matchup this weekend. Where yeah, it's a first time playoff quarterback, but there's a lot of familiarity there. Um, and Ryan Tannehill has had some some serious success against the Patriots. You know, it was you know a lot of it was in Miami. He hasn't had a ton of success in Foxborough, but um, it's gonna be interesting with how hot he has been and how and how well they have played uh, since he became the starter. And with that familiarity. 
Um, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be much different than your standard you know first playoff appearance quarterback. So that that's kind of where I think a lot of us are right now on the outside of this game is. We know the Patriots. We know the history of New England in the playoffs, especially when people doubt. But at the same time, it's not like every single year. This is not LeBron James making it eight straight years. This is not, you know, the Warriors winning a couple of years in a row. The Patriots have made it and lost, and I'm not even saying about the Eagles in 2017. So there is – it's not like they're unbeatable, but at the same time, this kind of feels like one of those years where – the five-point line, the the offense looking depleted of playmakers that everybody would expect them to to go on this run. Do they have the talent to go on the run, though, Brian? Oh, you know, it's um, I, I've been so critical of this team all year, but when you look back at you know the big picture, they really just they really just haven't gotten the job done against against the quality opponents and. This team, this this Titans team, is as quality of a six seed opponent as you're going to find. Um, especially when you look at you know their last ten games since Brian Tannehill's become the starter. They're seven and three. Uh, obviously, the one of the top offensive attacks in, in the game right now. They're a- averaging over 13 yards per p- uh, pass attempt on play action. They're just crazy numbers. Um, Ryan Tannehill, obviously, uh, a ton is being made of. How he's been, uh, how accurate he's been to all levels of the field. He, he led the league in next gen stats, completion percentage, you know, above expectation, um, all these crazy stats. Uh, so, I mean, as far as the, the Patriots' talent making a run, they've got to get through this. This is this is a tough, a tough, tough six seed coming in, uh, in 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 a game that they really didn't probably in their heart of hearts think they were going to have to play or get ready for. So. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine they're looking ahead. If, if you're asking, like, the long term, do they have the talent to, to take it all the way? It, it's tough to doubt them. I, you know, this I, I would say no because, you know, it's just been one of those kind of years on the offensive side of the ball. But I think it's going to be tough for them to get through it this weekend. So what's the biggest thing that – we talked about Ryan Tannehill. Is there any opportunity here to slow down Derrick Henry? This guy's been on an absolute tear, but – and I just remember the Eagles-Patriots game, it was difficult to run. I imagine that that's still one of the constants that's working for the Patriots is that their run defense. Yeah, and they've had a ton of success, uh, even you know, in, in the playoffs against, you know, against Derrick Henry um, uh, two years ago. And, uh, and they did a really nice job on him. Now, that was, you know, obviously a, a different roster, a different team, a different quarterback situation. But um, I think, honestly, I think you got to let, let Derrick Henry get his. Um, and you cannot, you cannot lose integrity on these play-action passes and let A.J. Brown get, get over the top of you and, 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 and do what they've done, um, you know, getting Johnny Smith and A.J. Brown into space on these play-action passes. Um, you've got to just kind of be content with, you know, letting Derrick Henry get, you know, get his a little bit in, in the box and rally to make a tackle at the second level. Don't overcommit because these play action passes are absolutely killing teams. Brian Phillips joining us, Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. What's been the, the general discussion? And, and that's what I'm always curious about. As you mentioned, you've been critical of this team. And that's what I love whenever I talk with you and, and others up there is nobody's ever taken their foot off the gas. I can only hope that if Philadelphia ever achieves that level of success 
from a football standpoint that we wouldn't take our foot off the gas either because you guys are really critical. But this year specifically, when you look at the start of the season to the end of the regular season to where we are now, a couple of days before you host the Titans, what's the general discussion about this team and what they can do this year? Well, you know, I'm – it, it depends on who you talk to, of course. But, um, you know, with with how this offense has been, it's really uh, the disheartening loss last weekend against Miami. Um, a lot of Patriots fans are, you know, turned to the defense, and they expect the defense to bail them out every time. And it's just it's just not realistic. You just, you're not going to make a deep run in the playoffs and expect – your defense to bat a thousand the entire season. You're going to have average games by your defense, and you've got to have your offense step up. And the offense just has not done that, with the exception of uh, the, the Bills game two weeks ago. They played really well, uh, and then in Week One, really against against Pittsburgh, they are, they have absolutely like it's it's now the time is right now. They have got to pull out all the stops, and I think they're going to have some stuff in the back pocket that Josh McDaniels hasn't really gone to over the last uh, few weeks. Um, specifically when it comes to uh, using tempo and using that uh, that hurry-up offense that we saw for a couple weeks against Baltimore and a little bit against um, Pittsburgh in Week 1 and, and a little bit against Philadelphia. Um, kind of, It's been kind of their go-to uh, get-out-of-jail you know, free card um, to kind of boost the offense in small bur- uh, spurts. But I think if they really need it to come down in, in this playoff stretch, they're going to go to it and uh, – that is something I think that that can really propel them forward, and uh, and it, there's going to be close games. You, you know, it's the playoffs. There's not going to be any dominant any dominant performances by either side. So when they can go to something like you know that they really believe in with this up tempo attack, I hope I, I truly hope that they go to it. Real quick, but before I ask about the future and moving on after this year for a couple of people, how big? Is the home field advantage remaining still up in Foxborough in New England? And, you know, that's talked about a lot in the NFL for certain teams, and clearly the Patriots are right there at the top. Is that valid? Is there truly a home field advantage in the playoffs in New England? Uh, you know, I, I kind of waver back and forth on that uh, with the with the, tr- the true advantage of it. I, I don't see. I don't personally think there is a ton of advantage. Um, when you're talking about if you if you know if you're looking at like a dome team that where the the crowds are really uh, intelligent and know how to be quiet on the third downs and uh, and really raise the roof on uh, you know when the opponent when their opponents on offense on a, on critical downs and things like that you can create some some advantage but uh, with these open air stadiums and things I think it's just uh, it's it's nice that the Patriots don't have to travel on this short week stuff like that 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 helps. But um, I don't think there's too much to read into it, to be honest with you. All right, so who's most likely to move on with, and look at it two ways, Patriots run and win the Super Bowl, or Patriots get knocked out in whatever round that fits the narrative easier. Who's more likely to move on? Is it Josh McDaniels or Tom Brady? I think it's got to be Josh McDaniels. Um, You know, there's, there's, he's been so close to leaving. Um, the last couple of years, it, it, it's it's probably time. Um, it, it really is just going to depend on if an organization can give him the control he wants. Um, but uh, I really, I really, in my heart of hearts, think it's Josh McDaniels. And part of that is probably just because I can't real, I I still have trouble <laughs> visualizing a Patriots. 
team without Tom Brady, right? I, 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 I can't picture Tom Brady in a, you know, in, in a different jersey. It just, it just, it, it, my brain malfunctions when I try to think of these things. It doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't populate words or, or images for, for, for me. It's, it's, it's weird. So I got to go Josh McDaniels. All right, so with that said, is McDaniels going to the Cowboys? Who, who, who knows what's going on with the Cowboys? Like, just since we, uh, just before we, right. in the last couple of hours, right? Like, it's been conflicting reports, right? So who knows if there's even a vacancy? Who, I, don't I know. can't. It's a I, I know, and, and I don't know if you've watched The Office or if you've seen The Office. So, yeah. if, do you, <laughs> have you? Oh, yeah, I'm a big Office fan. Okay, so... This is Jerry Jones, Michael Scott firing Devin, Jason Garrett in the Halloween episode. Like, just taking forever. Black Monday. They call it Black Monday. It's Thursday night. They news dump this on Thursday night. There's, you're right. This might be as dysfunctional as the Redskins right now, Brian. It's amazing. So does that make, like, Rod Marinelli, is he creed? Like, yes, yes, perfect. Like... <laughs> Let's fight it like the old days. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, man. You know, I, 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 I've been thinking it's going to be Cleveland for, for Josh McDaniels, obviously the allure of those offensive weapons. And Jimmy Haslam talking today about how they want a guy with experience. So I, it, it, seems, it seems pretty likely to me that that would be the landing spot for him. Awesome. Brian, so last question for you, man, and always appreciate the time we get. Do they cover? It's a five-point line right now. It might move, so let's lock it in at five. It's a Saturday kick, so maybe it drops, but it's been pretty consistent. Do they cover the five-point line? Patriots win by a touchdown? Uh, I got final score, Patriots 26, Tennessee 20. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So they cover. Just just, just a random, maybe, you know, it's like a missed extra point or something. (laughs) Yep. Something something weird. It's always uh, that. Yeah. I got just a, just a random cover, not even, not even related to the skill of, you know, how the game, you know, just, just based on how scoring works in football. And it's Belichick, so there's always some way that he's going to cover this game in some bizarre way. It very safe (laughs) bet. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, for sure, man. Good talking to you. You got it. Brian Phillips at B Phillips underscore SB. Of course, is how you follow him on Twitter. All things at Pat's Pulpit for SB Nation Radio. This is ridiculous with Jason Garrett, coach of the Cowboys for 10 years. 10 years, and he never made the NFC Championship game. He only made the playoffs three times. That's it. Three times. Yeah. What the hell? And I said, Kellen Moore, thank you to Brian for saying Rod Marinelli. That's how we'll further this thing right now. If you've ever seen this, it's dead on. Rod Marinelli and (laughs) Jason Garrett rotating in Michael Scott's office about who's going to get fired first. What the hell took so long for a guy who was coaching? He's the second all-time winningest, winningest coach in Cowboys history, and he's never made it to the NFC Championship game. What does that tell you about 
a year in and year out underachiever. Do you know how hard you need to work to have talent like that where you're beating just by the nature of your talent, you're beating bad teams. And when it comes down to actually having to coach, you get pantsed. Every single time you're in the playoffs, you get pantsed. We'll wrap the hour next. SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. All right, second hour's coming your way. We'll go to Philadelphia, and I'll get some help in breaking down my Philadelphia Eagles, but... We'll look at that game as well as a couple of these other ones here. Just hit you with the Patriots-Titans game. The Bills game is fascinating to me because you've got a team in Buffalo that I just don't know how anybody believes in with a team in Houston, which I feel like a lot of people don't believe in. And that's really where I'm lost. Again, the disconnect. We open the hour with disconnect. And we'll start again when this game specifically with the Bills and Texans because there's I'm missing something obvious. I must be. Because when I look at this versus the reaction I'm seeing, and I'll never use social media as the lone barometer, but something just doesn't feel right about the analysis, the pregame analysis to this football game. At Shander Shows, hey, get me maze at eight on the Twitch channel is active. It's SB Nation Radio. Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. you got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level. On SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Before we go out to Seattle at nearly the end of this hour we have to look at the most under discussed football game of the weekend out of four four nfl playoff games and it's so under discussed we didn't even bring it up we didn't even save it we just kind of forgot no it was purposely left for this segment coming up in six minutes the saints vikings game not from a betting standpoint i know that but from a hierarchy standpoint well, if I have to talk about one game, it's not going to be that game. Well, if I talk about two games, it won't be that game. It's right there at the bottom of the list for everybody outside of Minnesota and New Orleans. I understand that. Wild Card Weekend brings a bunch of different things, including, of course, some wild, crazy prop bets. We'll sprinkle those out Friday. We'll be back Friday, 10 to 1A Eastern. But there is one that I thought, actually there are two that I thought were worthy of bringing up this hour. Here's the thing that I'm still kind of questioning as to why, and I mentioned the Minnesota Vikings. I know that they're part of the least discussed football game this weekend, taking on the Saints, maybe because they're an eight-point dog. I don't know. But the Philadelphia Eagles, they're two years removed from winning the Super Bowl. And on top of that, they beat the Patriots. It's not like the New England Patriots – it's not like the Philadelphia Eagles – 
beat the Cincinnati Bengals or the Cleveland Browns or a team that nobody really cares about, the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's probably the best example of a team that nobody cares about, even in Jacksonville. You don't really care about it. You just don't have anything else to care about. It's one of those examples. They beat the Patriots, which is the biggest ticket in town. They're three straight years decimated by injuries. Doug Peterson, amazing job. Carson Wentz is being talked about as well. They were not in the NFL hype video. The NFL made a playoffs video earlier in the week. Ten of 12 teams were in the video. Texans, Patriots, Chiefs, Ravens, Bills, Titans, Niners, Packers, Saints, and the Seahawks. Vikings, I get it. Vikings are boring. People care about them, but they're boring. Not my ego. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. Talking to Jack in the break, and if you're listening and following along on the Facebook or Twitch channel, Facebook's Aton Shander, the Twitch channel's Maze at Aton, then you can hear everything we don't break or pause during our commercial breaks. But it's just beyond the odds. We do a lot of that. We talk a lot about sports and angles and drama and things from a betting standpoint, especially if there's something that I personally have action on during the show. And tonight was a very stale night, one in which we're not on during a major bowl. My God, those bowl games couldn't get over fast enough. So I placed a, a wager, if you will. So I don't know if you saw this earlier, Jack, That because I know you were producing for Dave Smith and maybe even earlier before that. But that Cincinnati-BC game got delayed significantly because of a weather issue. And I'm thinking, all right, well, this is perfect because Cincinnati dominating the game and they were already up 7 nothing. Or no, no, it was, it was scoreless. But they were moving the football. And you could just tell – that one team just wasn't ready to play. So then you add the weather delay, and you think, all right, well, that's going to definitely have an impact on the score. These are kids, and it's a bowl game. It's not like they're at home or anything. So the in-game under, over-under, was 45-and-a-half. No score. And, again, there was about, I'd say, seven minutes to go in the first quarter for when they resumed play for the rain delay, for the weather delay. So I'm jumping in. I think, all right, well, under 45 and a half, that's easy. Lo and behold, it, it wasn't as easy as I thought. First off, Cincinnati, I was going to leave with BC, but really the story was Cincinnati. And who the hell cares, right? That's why you bet on these god-awful football games is to add some level of excitement. So, or just justify sitting there and watching it. But what was crazy is that Cincinnati – just starts plowing through, and, and there's just nothing at all that BC can do. And the only thing that Boston College was able to do was block a kick, and that brought it back for a touchdown. Even then, they couldn't get the extra point. It didn't work. So they have six on the board, and then here you go, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, and they're starting to run this thing out. Now, it just hit at 44, but the reason why I bring this up is because Boston College had one more possession. 
There's about a minute and ten left. And Boston College is down 38-6. to six. The total has hit under. 45-and-a-half. I'm good in-game. The kid, the quarterback for BC, drops back. There is a near... I don't know. I don't know what happened, but nine out of ten times, that's a pick six by any defender on any level of football. Pop Warner, it's a pick six. Cincinnati defender dropped it. I exhale. But that's it. Like, that's bad beat, bad loss, whatever you want to determine that as. Shame on me for betting an in-game under for such a disadvantaged line here where Cincinnati's just so overmatched. Whatever you want to apply to it. So that's where this whole thing came from is because, you know, we talk a lot about lines and stuff. And, Jack, you know, how you're working together. So I brought that up. And you mentioned that you had a really bad experience in Vegas. And I did as well. So I don't know if, if you want to lead with yours or if it will make you feel more comfortable if I lead with mine. It, it's up to you. But I am curious because you were – you were starting to tell this story off the air, and I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. I, th- this is a better story told on the air. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and start first. I went to Vegas about December 2018. This is my first time ever going to Vegas or just gambling in general. So I went to the casinos, and I said, you know what? I'm a big sports fan. I'm going to start betting. And I remember the Stars were playing the the Avalanche, and I was just getting into hockey at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'll bet. 20 bucks on the stars just to just to win out and of course the avalanche won that game so so this was just a straight money line bet yeah straight money okay. line i wasn't i didn't start getting into over unders until the very very end of my trip there uh when the nfl season because it was like week it was week 16 whenever right. we went so players were coming out and I, I was telling my friends who don't know much about sports, saying, oh, yeah, these are some guaranteed wins. Go with Dolphins over Vikings. Go with Cowboys over the Colts and uh, some other crapshoot game. Oh, no, I bet the Broncos over the Browns. So you were giving NFL picks. Yeah, I was giving NFL picks. And I was putting 30 on each of those money lines. And just in those three picks, I was down $90. Right. Wow. So, yeah. And so did you try to bet out of it? Yes. What My final was a Monday night game. I'll never forget. It was between the Panthers and the Saints. So I bet the over. This is the first time I actually bet the the Saints would win by more than seven points. Okay. And I said, oh, easily. Cam Newton's not playing. Drew Brees and the Saints are looking to clinch. Was it like Jake Delhomme? Somebody as the quarterback then for the Panthers? I think it was Kyle Allen. I think it was his actual first start ah, last season. Okay. And I'm thinking, you know, I watched A&M. I watched U of H being in Houston. Kyle Allen's nothing special. So <laughs> I kid you not, I put $200 on the Saints winning by more than seven points. Now, to be fair... You would not have put that much money on that game if you had not lost those three individual stakes at 30 apiece. Exactly. Right. So you made the cardinal sin of committed, I guess, the sin of trying to bet your way out of a hole. Exactly. But, it, well, to be fair, though, it wasn't all on the same night, right? No, it was. Th- we were in Vegas for three nights. I, I had oh, some right. other 
some other bets where it was like, oh, five dollars on Tampa Bay Lightning, five dollars sure. on the Rockets. You know, little, but the big stuff. one was two fifty, and now you added ninety. Now, now you're down a chunk right there. That's a chunk of change for anybody. Exactly. So I put that two hundred in, and the Saints fumbled the ball because they were already up by like three points. Mark right. Ingram was about to run in, uh-huh. and he fumbled the ball, and it went into the end zone and out of bounds. So the Panthers took over, and the game was over. Oh, my goodness. So I'm out looking at myself. I'm out 290 almost $300. Luckily, I won some, some money back at the, at the blackjack table, so I'd, my total loss was about $250 that, for that that's trip. That's not terrible. That's not terrible at all. See, I, yeah, that's, that's the worst part is Vegas, and this is back before we had it legally here in Pennsylvania and New Jersey where I am in Philly. But that was the big book. That's where you would go for the actual sports book. You'd sit there and you'd watch these games, and it was the original book. And that was the frustrating part for me was that I had a small amount of money that stacked up after a couple of games. So it was almost the opposite for you where I'm sitting here, and it's just you know college basketball, tournament time, and it's just like when you hit a couple of things in your bracket, you just attach money to it. So I hit a couple of these games in the first two rounds because we were there for a little bit first for that weekend, you know, so you, you play Thursday through Sunday. So I did really well overall. And at that point, I'm thinking, all right, I'm one of the people in the group because there's always somebody who's up. There's always somebody who's down. And, you know, we start having fun going around, and spending a little money. And I won't forget this ever. It's the last time I've been there. And let's see, outside of a slot, it's the last thing I've played beyond games. But I was at the MGM, and again, this is a Sunday evening following a huge couple. Now, I say huge, meaning like, you know, it's a couple, maybe like $1,000 at most I won, right? Which, again, is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. That's still a lot of money, yeah. Absolutely, a lot of money. So... I was down to about $750, $800 to where I had that left, right? And I purposely set up an account ahead of time to where I would put in a Bank of America a second account. I would put any money I would make. So if I won 1000 if I won 50000 whatever, I would, I would have that. If it would cash out, then I'd deposit it immediately in another card. So I had that second card with me. We're walking back, dinner, hanging out, drinks, nights, whatever. Another of my buddies hit at a table. I remember that's what brought us to the MGM. And this is late, man. This is like 3 a.m. There's one person at a roulette table. That person's playing roulette. Now, you know if you remember when you were there, and anybody who remembers or has been recently, you have that list, that long digital line, right, of all the numbers, like the last 10 numbers that have hit, right? So you can see the last 10 lines, numbers, that have come in. And I'm thinking to myself, this, this is not real, is it? But whatever it was, 10, 13, however many numbers you can see, it was all black. Black, 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 black. I saw this person bet again. It came up black. I'm like, all right, that's now the 14th time that we've seen, com- like, with everything, that a number or, c- like, the color has been consistent. So what do I do? 
You bet red. I went to the ATM. I took out all that money. I ran back, and I put it just on red. Just red. That's it. Just red. And it came up green. Oh, my God. Yep. And then, of course, the next spin, because that person was there, the next spin was red. <laughs> Imagine you put, like, a dollar chip on green. You, oh, my you goodness. You could have retired. Anything. Just anything on green. Instead, that sucker came up green. I would have rather it come up black at that point. I think green was just them trolling me. You idiot. You went to the ATM and got $800 out to put it on red, thinking you could game the system. So it, it was the that's why I wanted you to tell that story, because it, it was the same exact thing that happened to me, except the opposite. Now, again, money and the variable, that's different, whatever. But just as, as far as betting the games and, and getting up, and you said you made some back, at least on the crap table, right? Blackjack, crap, and... Blackjack. Uh, uh, slot some slots. See, there you go. Anything you can do to make up for it, man. It's amazing. At Shander shows hey, at me on Twitter. There is a game going on right now that I have some action on, and I'm curious because I see. I, I wasn't surprised to find out that a lot of people bet this because it's one of the few things going on right now on the East Coast at 12:24 a.m. on a Friday. Get to that. This, you'll hear Drew Brees when we get back as well because the most under-discussed wildcard game may be in the history of wildcard games. It's SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. So the most under-discussed game by all means, and I don't even think it's close, is the Vikings-Saints game. Maybe because of the line, maybe people are afraid of it. I don't know if that's a deterrent. Wow, it's an eight-point line, Shander. Come on. What What good do I have wasting my time and energy on that? The Saints are going to kill them. And I believe they will. I do. I believe New Orleans covers that line. I believe that it, it could go up to nine and a half before I start to really take a second look at that number. But the Saints have been dominating. The Saints have been rolling over bad teams. And the inconsistency, the health issues, Dalvin Cook to play and all this. Okay, but still, this team has been banged up all year. And they've gotten by, but still, there's one major variable. And this is one thing that I'll bet against. You see, Josh Allen is one variable that forces me to stay the hell away from it. And even still, the worst team of every single matchup in wildcard football for the Buffalo Bills, including if you even wanted to have some sort of hypothetical and make it an NFC-type matchup, but the worst team for the Bills to go up against is the Texans because nobody can figure out the Texans. And the Texans don't have any type of strong, dominating trait that you would look at, oh, they're definitely going to be able to exploit this. And the Bills' defense has traveled. 
So I get it. I understand why it's a close line, but here's the difference. And we'll hear from Drew Brees coming up in a second. But here's the big difference. I would never just have anything rely on Josh Allen. Too unpredictable. There's a difference with that statement than I will always bet against Kirk Cousins in primetime slash playoffs. Always. There's the big difference is staying away, abstaining, versus fading. Kirk Cousins gets faded in the playoffs. Kirk Cousins gets faded on primetime games, Thursday night football. Kirk Cousins gets faded anytime the bright lights are on him. When everybody is watching Kirk Cousins, that's when you fade him. That's when you say, man, there's just no way his football team is going to win anything. And it really, at this point, to be fair, shouldn't matter what team he's on. If they're 15-1 and and Bill Belichick is the head coach and they've got a defense that is historic, that you're matching up with against the 85 Bears, and Kirk Cousins is the quarterback, I'm fading that team. Kirk Cousins' inability to perform when it matters most, when the lights are brightest, overshadows the all-time genius of Bill Belichick. I'd be willing to stake that to where even Bill Belichick couldn't fix or solve Kirk Cousins when it comes to primetime. And look, Cousins wasn't terrible this year. That's the difficulty of relying on Kirk Cousins. But unlike anything with their opponent with the Buffalo Bills, here you have stability. Here you have a Saints offense that can destroy you. You have a guy who just broke a single-season receptions record. You have a quarterback who hasn't needed to throw the football 20, 30 yards down the field, maybe in like a year and a half. You've got not one but two running backs you can throw to. It's ridiculous. Jared Cook, one of the more underrated tight ends now in the NFL, so long as he's healthy. The Saints offense is moving like beyond a well-oiled machine. This Saints offense is methodical. And here's the boot. The problem that you run into with Minnesota, especially when you have the football, Kirk Cousins and company, is the Saints defense is as legit as it's been in a long time. This Saints defense has played beyond well. Even in that shootout with the 49ers, even then you saw a couple of big moments forcing a turnover or two. This team was not left for dead fell off the cliff by any means after they gave up a ton of points to San Francisco. They've been able to be opportunistic, cause some turnovers, and it doesn't matter where they play. In this case, it's just an added bonus that they're at home. Vikings are in it. Vikings have a long fight in front of them. And if you want to look at one of these big props that popped up for Wild Card Weekend, the biggest point differential in any of the four games – over 14.5 is minus 180. Under 14.5 is plus 140. So your favorite is over. And I imagine as much as a team can pull away and in, in winning by 16, 17 points, 15 now with an extra point miss and just how things play out, that's not asking too much. Any of these games can finish with a 15-point differential. But I think what the most obvious one would be is New Orleans. They just don't allow teams back in. And Minnesota, down 20 points, 
dropping back and throwing the ball deep to Stephon Diggs is going to be the most obvious play out there. When you have Kirk Cousins in that type of mode, it's not, oh, backdoor cover, he's going to get his. It's, it's just a matter of time. Kirk Cousins is going to make a major mistake, and it's most likely going to happen in the first half. And that's going to shift or open something up. Even if you want to be patient and wait, and we always talk about waiting till kick and trying to maximize some value. If you love the Saints and you think for some reason this game may start out a little tight, and maybe, just maybe, Minnesota's up 3 nothing, or it's 7-7 after 1, and that's where, or maybe even 10-7 Minnesota, somewhere in the first quarter, and that's where you want to jump in? I don't think so. I think this is like a brand new car. As soon as it leaves the lot, the value depreciates. The New Orleans Saints, the value for the Saints right now in this game is like buying a new car. Once it hits the street, once it leaves the lot, it starts to depreciate in value exponentially. <laughs> Especially if the Saints get the football. Saints get the football first, they're going to march down the field and score. Even if it's a field goal, Saints go up 3 nothing. that in-game line is going to move to 11. Maybe even 12, depending on how fast or effortless it looked. At Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. Before we break, we'll go to Seattle in five minutes. I apologize, Jack. Let's listen to Drew Brees about this game and the importance of the season. We have a lot of guys on this team that were here for those experiences, right? And so I think it says a lot about our group to be able to take some of those circumstances and some of those unfortunate things and be able to turn that into something positive and use that as fuel, use that as a way to just bring us closer together and really fight through that adversity to bring out the best in all of us. There's something about this team going through last year, and whether or not you want to call it adversity or just a bunch of people bitching and moaning, they went through something that brought them together, that made them closer as a team, and that's that call that clearly did not go their way, that spurned this whole thing about uh, the Sean Payton pass interference nonsense. That's something that clearly I don't think that it's motivating them every day. But it's something that they went through that is preventing them from resting on any type of accomplishments. I think other teams, is oh, you have a quarterback who sets this record this year, all-time record. You've got a receiver who broke an individual record. And normally you see a team like that maybe cool off a little bit. But after you went through what you did last year, uh uh-uh. Total focus for New Orleans. That's why they're my favorite to win it all. Seattle next. We'll go talk to Greg Bell. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. Well, it's been heavily discussed on the program tonight, and I pull no punches because it's my team. So, of course, I got a squad here in Philadelphia that's in the playoffs, then we'll talk about it. Even brought on some reinforcements earlier. Now, on the other hand, you're going to hear all the logical and rational reasons as far as why the Seattle Seahawks are going to continue to be the best road team, walk into Philadelphia, and end a pretty cool story here by the Eagles. We bring in Greg Bell. 
covers the Seahawks for the News Tribune at G Bell Seattle is how you follow Greg on Twitter. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Greg, first and foremost, thank you for the time. I know it's a busy end to the week on your way out here to Philadelphia. Appreciate you joining us tonight. You're welcome. Happy New Year, Aton. To you as well, sir. And and I'm sure this is far from your first time here, so you know all the good places to eat, you know all the good places to go to stay away from the crazy, raucous Eagles fans. You don't need my help here, right? Third time in five weeks I've been there, actually, because not only did the Seahawks play there at the end of November, then I came back and went to the Army-Navy game. I'm a West Point graduate. So, uh, yeah, I know Philadelphia pretty, pretty well. Oh, wow. I've been well, McGillan's for... a few times. Yes, nice, perfect. That that, And you know what? That would be one of the top three places I would recommend. Three times, wow, that, that is something. A lot of people would say that's enough right there and never come back. No, no, no. I love your town. I love your city. <laughs> have since I was a cadet. Great place. Great memories of that place. Well, that's awesome, and, and thank you for that. I didn't know that, that you went there. That's really cool of you, Greg. Let's look at one question, and this is something that here in Philadelphia, I do stuff locally as well. We've been trying to figure this out. What's changed this year? Normally, Seattle, 7-1, and 8-0. and 0, that's a record that would be attached to their home. Now they're one, if not the best, road team in the NFL. What changed? Well, frankly, it's the opponents they've played at home versus the road. They've played Baltimore and the Saints and lost to them in Seattle. San Francisco they lost to in Seattle. They got upset and played poorly against Arizona. And that's their four home losses. And they've played on the road of Ben Roethlisberger, West. Steelers team in week two. Roethlisberger got hurt in that game, and they Seahawks won by two at Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph quarterbacking them. Baker Mayfield did not have a good game in Cleveland when the Seahawks rallied to win that game after falling behind early. Your Eagles were decimated with injuries. I mean, they had cabbies and who else playing wide receiver at the end of November. No starting running back. Their offensive linemen were missing November 24th in the 17-9 win. Carolina was in the middle of losing seven games in a row. They had fired their coach, Ron Rivera, and had Kyle Allen, the quarterback, when the Seahawks beat the Panthers last month, or this month, I should say. So some of it's the product of who they've played at home in a way, more so than them being a dominant team. But they'll tell you that they are a uniquely close team. Pete Carroll's been talking about since May how this team, more than any other he's had, even Super Bowl teams, are much more tightly knit, bonded, Everyone pulling together. Uh, there were some clicks and riffs and nationally documented stories about the ends of Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Michael Bennett's time here and how they grew tired of Pete Carroll. Well, they've gotten rid of all the guys who were getting tired of Pete Carroll, and everybody who stayed, the two franchises, Cornerstones, are all in on Pete Carroll, and that's Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. They've been paid like it, the highest paid contracts at their positions in the league, and everybody else is falling in line behind them. And KJ Wright are the oldest, longest tenured players, and it's a bunch of young guys taking their lead, and they're a more closely knit team, and they think that's going to come in handy on Sunday too. Greg, it's amazing. We had Jeff Mosher, who covers the team here locally in Philadelphia, on an hour ago, and and he said that the two teams are like that Spider-Man meme, where it's the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other, and what you're <laughs> describing is exactly what Philadelphia has gone through, where even Doug Peterson is quoted as saying that not necessarily more talented, but just a closer team, and, and there's just something even more special about this year than two years ago when they went on that magical run with Nick Foles or won a Super Bowl. I, I don't know what it is, and, and it's a shame that one of these two teams 
is out after Sunday, but there is something, Greg, about how similar from injury to storyline these two teams are. I would say that Philadelphia is even more banged up and resuming to get to the playoffs than Seattle is. I mean, the, the Eagles have just been racked all over the place, offensively and defensively, start of the year. I don't have to tell you what their injury history has been this year. The Seals have had that big of an injury situation. It's really caught up to him the end of this season. Today, on Clowney's injury, the core muscle injury, he went to see Dr. William Myers in your city mm-hmm. at the end of November. Myers recommended that he have this fraternia surgery, and Clowney said, you know what, this is the last year of my contract. I'm going into free agency potentially in March. I'm trying to make a huge impression on this team I just joined and want to get a new deal done with them for 20 million a year. I'm going to play this playoff run and go into the playoffs with, this, with the Seahawks. I don't want to have the surgery now. He convinced Dr. Myers to put it off till after the season, yet he has not been the same player since that injury November 11th at San Francisco. He dominated that game, was the reason the Seahawks beat the 49ers to get to the top of the NFC West and the NFC at the time. Then he missed the Eagles game. He's missed three of his last five games. In Sunday night against San Francisco, the same 49ers who couldn't block him with two and three guys were handling him one-on-one. He has not been the same, and this defense is not the same without anybody pressuring the quarterback. Part of the reason Carson Wentz and the Eagles turned it over five times is they got pressure on Wentz in that game November 24th. They got to him. Wentz had four turners over himself with interception and fumbles, and that's what's been lacking for Seattle in the last three or four weeks. They've lost three out of their last four games without a pass rush, without forcing many turnovers. Ziggy Ons has been a disappointment when he's not been hurt. 30-year-old they signed from Detroit at the beginning of the season with a big off-season splash. Contract up potentially worth $9 million. It was a very incentive-based deal that he's not going to see much of the incentives of because he just hasn't played or performed. Clowney just has three sacks all season. This team's been at the bottom of the league and sacked most of the year. If they don't get pressure on Wentz, I know Wentz is going to get it out quickly, and that's how Philadelphia wants to play it, but they need to affect the quarterback to win in the playoffs. Uh, the injuries they do have are fewer than Philadelphia, but they're key. The Clowney one, and then Quandre Diggs is coming back from a high ankle sprain. who's going to make a huge difference in the secondary and did in the first game. In, in what about the running game? And I'm sure you've been hit with question after question, Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch. And clearly there is an, a void that had to be filled with Lynch and, and other names there. Is it going to be a lot of Lynch? Is there going to be more of a committee, kind of like we saw against the Niners, Greg? It'll be a committee. Travis Homer, the rookie six-round pick, will be the number one back. He'll get most of the carries. In their perfect world, they'd rather be Homer. Uh, Travis Homer from the University of Miami getting about 15 or so carries. Lynch, 10 or so. He got 12 in the first game for 34 yards against San Francisco. Neither one of those guys would be carrying the ball Sunday if Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and C.J. Procise all didn't get season-ending injuries in a span of three weeks. Their top three running backs went out. They had 1,230-yard rusher in Carson. He gained 1,100 yards last year. That's 2,400 yards out the window for the playoffs. And then Rashad Penny was their number one pick who had his best game of his career in Philadelphia at the end of November, had a 130-yard day. He actually had 15 carries that day, and Carson had just three. And Penny's out for the year. So the Eagles are going to see a completely different running game Sunday than what they saw at the end of November. And Marshawn Lynch is going to be, a, I would think, a bigger part of it than he was scheme-wise against San Francisco. They mainly used him in some split series and, and the zone reads and inside runs. I'd expect him to be used more in the passing game. He 
He's always been a very good, rugged pass blocker. He's a stout, strong guy, of course. That is, He puts his head in there and gets into pass blocking, and he catches the ball well. And I would expect him to get a few more touches in the pass game than he got against San Francisco. It's just those two guys, though, and that's who they want to run with. They also have Robert Turbin they brought back the same day that they brought uh, Marshawn Lynch back in the old home week reunion last week. But I don't think Turbin's going to be factored in again. He had no offensive snaps last week. They're going to run with Homer and Lynch, and they have to run the ball for their pass protection and their offensive line to function and give Russell Wilson time. If they don't run the ball effectively, teams can key off on Wilson. They've done it for two years running, and, and Seahawks offense bogged down and goes nowhere. Greg Bell joining us at G Bell Seattle, covers the Seahawks for the News Tribune, Eitan Shander, SB Nation Radio. I just want to take you back to the game earlier as you were here in Philadelphia and you saw that up close and personal. And it was as bad and as atrocious, really, as the offense was Carson Wentz. That was his worst or one of his worst games all season. It felt like, and again, this is from somebody watching Russell Wilson not nearly as much as you on the day-to-day and week-to-week, Greg, but it felt like that was not a good game for Russell Wilson as far as just making some easy passes and connecting with receivers. It just felt like for a guy who would be the MVP most likely outside of Lamar Jackson, that might have been an off day to say the least for him. That was one of his two worst games. It was. Uh, he missed a touchdown pass in the first half to Jacob Hollister. It was a five-yard flip that he put about 10 yards over Hollister's head in the end zone, the tight end. That was when they were going left to right, uh, away from the downtown side of the field with the wind at their back, the open end of the stadium at their back. The wind was kicking that day, if you remember that. It was yep. about 25, 30 miles an hour. I saw in the forecast it's supposed to be 18 miles an hour on Sunday afternoon, for late Sunday afternoon for the game. And the Seahawks are preparing for the wind that they weren't prepared for the first game. They've talked about it this week. Hmm. Wilson got – Wentz missed a couple – he missed a pass in the flat in the first quarter to a running back that would have been a touchdown that sailed on him. D.K. Metcalf missed a touchdown pass that the wind blew the ball off his hands on a post route in the first half. Those are two touchdown passes that Wilson should have had, and it should have been a 28-point instead of a 17-point game for the offense. It was a 17-3 game into the fourth quarter. You mentioned the Eagles' offensive troubles that day and the five turnovers and sacks. But that turned into a 17-9 game only because Wilson and Metcalf and Hollister missed on plays they normally make. Wilson talked today about, hey, we just missed on a couple plays. If we make those plays, it's a different game. No one's talking about how bad our offense was that day. And he's right. But again, the crux of Seattle's offense, not just for this game, but if they're going to go anywhere in the postseason, is they have to run the ball effectively to set up their pass. They cannot drop back and throw because defenses will tee off on Seattle's offensive line. They cannot step back and pass rush and stop edge rushers. They had a hard time with the secondary blitzing with Philadelphia in the first game. Malcolm Jenkins was spying. I think to me he was spying receiver running backs coming and waiting for them to come out of the backfield. And when they didn't come, when they stayed the block, he just blitzed in and got around those backs for sacks. He had two sacks that game. The safety McLeod had a sack in that game. Russell Wilson got that sack six times by the Eagles that day. Uh, and I three of them were by the secondary. So pass protection is the most important issue for Seattle offensively. And they never get, ever get pass protection unless they run the ball first. That's amazing, and and as you lay that out with the issues that they had in that game and then compound it from an Eagles standpoint as far as they're preparing for the wind, 
it's it's been a battle that I've had locally, and it's not just the typical Eagles fan who thinks every game they're going to win by fifty, and you know they're winning the Super Bowl. But it, it's a battle I've had with some of the more rational people as well, which is it, that we were lucky here in Philadelphia to watch that close of a football game, and the fact that they're so aware of it now with Pete Carroll to Russell Wilson it gives me less hope about this game. So I'll look at it this way and end with this, Greg, kind of with that in the backdrop. How much of the Philadelphia Eagles offense is even a concern at this point with the assumption that Zach Ertz with the lacerated kidney is not even going to play? Well, I'm not sure what the talk in Philadelphia is. The Seahawks think he's going to play. K.J. Wright said to me today, 86 is playing. That guy's a stud. Hmm. And they think every ball, if he's playing, every ball's going to him. That's and they fair. feel Carson Wentz, when they, when, especially because their receiver issues being, wide receiver issues being what they are, they're expecting a lot of 12 personnel. They are expecting Ertz to play, which I don't know how you play with a broken rib. Me neither. As pain, painful as that can be. But they know the, the pass game starts with the tight ends. Like Goddard and Ertz are the key. And they know that the, the running back has caught the ball a little more. They didn't see him in the first game. Uh, Miles wasn't in the first game. Uh, they think Carson Wentz is something of a wild card to them. They respect him quite a bit. They like his arm. They like his poise. But as you know, this is his first playoff game. As oddly, oddly as that seems, he, he was on the sidelines for that Super Bowl run and injured when Nick Foles took over. So there's a curiosity, I would say, among the Seahawks about Carson Wentz. He's dangerous to them. And there's an unknown, but no doubt Seattle's day defensively will be much, much simpler and easier if Zach Ertz doesn't play. That'll be a key pre, uh, pregame look for the Seahawks of whether he's 86 is out there or not. At G Bell Seattle is how you can follow Greg Bell. Awesome stuff, man. I really appreciate this. Thanks. Welcome back to Philly, and have Thank a happy, you. healthy New Year. Hey, i got to ask you, is my buddy Shio Kapadia one of the more rational ones you were referring to, or they, he's one of the more off-the-hook ones? No, there's Shio Kapadia and Tim McManus. Now, those two guys go back to this blog that they created here in Philadelphia before they yeah. went on to amazing, better things with ESPN and beyond. Shio is awesome. First off, Shio's one of the great guys in this business and he's also yeah. one of the more rational minds in Philadelphia. <laughs> if he's a rational mind in Philadelphia, that's a rational mind. I, I respect that very much. We've had him out here in Seattle, colleague of mine for years out here with the Seahawks as well. Absolutely. No, he's a great dude. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it, man. We'll see. Thanks you a lot. It. Take care. You got it. Absolutely. All right, we'll wrap the show next. It's SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Jason Garrett is out. Jason Gotch is in. Coming up after me in a couple of minutes on all SB Nation Radio platforms. Big story for him. I'm sure there's a bunch of other things going on. Probably won't hit on that St. Mary's cover at San Francisco, but if you were listening to me earlier in the show, paid off. We don't usually give in-game West Coast Conference college basketball plays. Great job, Jack, producing the show. We're back tomorrow, 10 to 1A. Technically tonight, if you're on the East Coast, 10 to 1A. You can follow me on Twitter, at Shander Show. Will Mike Vrabel... Be shown playing for the Pats. Minus 200. Yes, take that bet. Set your system's volume control for slightly above.
the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level. On SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Four big NFL games to look at. We knocked off two, but I'm going to need help. Philadelphia, Seattle, 1140 Eastern will go to Philly, where I am, and bring on another voice. Before that, in six minutes, we'll open up with the Bills-Houston game, Texans game in Houston, because as fascinated as we all will be, if in fact, and I, I should say fascinated with and happy, we all will be if, in fact, the Titans pull off an upset and knock off the Patriots in New England, which I'm sure they're just absolutely all-time dominant, especially against quarterbacks where it's their first appearance like Ryan Tannehill, et cetera, et cetera. But we even have that Minnesota-New Orleans game. We'll sneak in this hour. The big news that came down about an hour ago, well, there's international news that has taken over the country, but the sports news is Jason Garrett finally fired out in Dallas. And the first thing that everybody asked was, well, what took so long? What in the world could possibly take so long to where you knew the inevitable was Jason Garrett will no longer be part of this team? And then you start to look back at just how bad it was for Jason Garrett for a team that won a lot of games in the regular season but never did anything of note in the playoffs, including not even making it to the NFC Championship game. I mean, hell, Doug Peterson in his second year won a Super Bowl. You're telling me that Jason Garrett, uh, what should I be impressed about? The Giants are apparently in love with Jason Garrett. I know that there's a rumor out there that Matt Rule would, would want that. The Giants, from people that I talk to, are in love with Jason Garrett. What in the world could you possibly point to and say, that is inspiring, that is the anchor behind a great coach in Jason Garrett? Nothing. There is nothing that Jason Garrett does well. That's astounding, isn't it? At Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. Maze and Aton is the Twitch channel. You can watch and follow along on Espionation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Jason Garrett finally out. That's the big news that comes down on a Thursday night, at least from a sports standpoint. There's a bunch of other stuff trending on Twitter and beyond, but I only have a little bit of time here. Now, the one thing that I'm curious about when you think about this Bills and Texans matchup that I am just, I don't get, I don't understand, the love affair that people have with Buffalo in this specific game, particularly with the 
offense and that quarterback. It's just not something that you look at and think this is going to be, you know, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't have any confidence in Josh Allen, and I'm trying to explain it from somebody who's not connected with the Bills, and I've gotten into this a lot with, you know, Bills Mafia and Bills fandom and a bunch of people that you'll see on there that are just huge Bills fans or fans of Josh Allen or what have you, and that there's been improvement and that there's notable data you can point to from, you know, 10 yards in, etc. But I'm sorry, when I watched this kid play and being on in the NFL rush this year in the afternoon, watched a lot of games, both leading up to my slot and on, that's the job watching and reacting to games. So anytime they're on in the afternoon, 4 o'clock Eastern slot, if you will, locked in as well. And I've bet the Bills a couple of times this year. So you add that comment. It's not just me looking at some box score week in and week out. It's not looking at some level of advanced analytical data to prove a point or lead off with some number and then back it up with my point I'm looking at this kid play. Now, I'm not down or up at wherever, Orchard Park, and then we're beyond. I'm not there every day in practice seeing minimal improvement day to day. That would then add up to, well, if you look at where he was last year to where he is this year. All I've seen is a guy who struggles mightily to throw the football 10-plus yards down the field to the point at which it's laughable. And it's a marvel that this team has made it there to the playoffs and won as many games as they've had with him him struggling so much from beyond 10 yards down the field. And it's every single time. It truly is. It's every time that this kid is dropping back, he's a liability. He's a liability to throw a pick or just to throw the ball 20 yards over somebody's head. And I don't know how you would bet on that. It is the one variable to me this weekend that I would stay the hell away from. That I am staying the hell. Think about this. You've got four football games to look at to bet on, right? Even if you were going to run a teaser, even if you're going to pour them into a round robin, Whatever you wanted to do, straight bets, however it is, you wanted to just say, okay, look, Shander, I've been ta- hearing you and others talk about placing bets and stuff. It's legal where I live. Uh, let me see what I got here this weekend. Well, you've got four games. Three good games, I think, to actually bet on where there's value and you can sneak in and really get something. For- and then there's this Bills-Texans te- game. And I hear it a lot. My brother-in-law makes this point, and it's hard to argue with him because here I am agreeing with him wholeheartedly while I'm placing a wager on Ohio State or Clemson or Connecticut or anybody. But he looks at me and says, how can you bet? How can you put money on college football? How can you look at, at these games and know that these coaches are out there basically establishing a game plan that's at the mercy of a 19-year-old kid making decisions under pressure. 
How can you do that? How can you live and die with that? At least in the NFL, you've got 24 to 32-year-old men who are machines at that point and have multi-million dollar contracts, incentives, etc. to know also the talent pool has plucked the best of the best that have proven to perform under that pressure. How can you do that? How can you look and bet? Same exact principle I apply to Josh Allen. How in the world can anybody look at that variable and place money on Josh Allen? Yeah, I, I get it. They're getting two and a half points. It's still not enough. You're not even getting three and a half. Where is the argument here? First off, where is the argument for betting the game in its own right? I don't see it. Texans aren't even good enough right now against that level of a quarterback in Allen to be favored by a full three. J.J. Watt is coming back. And I know the guy got surgery two months ago. Still, you've got this team who was down. DeAndre Hopkins playing. Hyde playing. Offensive line's been banged up. Quarterback's playing. Like You've got Kenny Stills, right, play. You've got people out there that are suiting up that didn't play in the final week of the season just to rest. And this Buffalo Bills team comes in uninspired outside of their defense. A running game that, great, has a future Hall of Famer, but hasn't truly shown that they can overcome the issues of the quarterback. Buffalo had four, really, if you look at it, four wins locked in. This Bills team, it's, it's not that they're not worthy of a playoff spot. I can't say that this Buffalo Bills team has no business being in the playoffs. Just because you get knocked out in the first round doesn't mean you don't deserve it. But you lose to the Jets at the end of the season. That was a game in which you didn't need. Your seating was locked up, so nobody's blaming you there. Earlier, you open up the season with a win against the Jets. And then the other team is the Miami Dolphins. And the Miami Dolphins you've swept this year, if you're Buffalo. Two guaranteed victories. It's just like the Patriots. And if the Bills needed to be 11-5, and five, if in order for the Bills to make the playoffs, they needed to finish 11-5, and five, not 10-6, and six, guess what? They would have. They would have beaten that Bills team, or Jets team, pardon me. They were better than them. They just sat everybody. This is not an inspiring offense that creates fear. I can't imagine that the Houston Texans right now, their defensive units, their defensive coordinator, every, anybody that's associated with their defense is losing sleep over this Bills offense. Are you honestly scared of Josh Allen? He's a competitor. The guy can move the chains with his feet. He can hit people on the run. He's not a bum. At no point is Josh Allen a stiff. In fact, if the guy could only do that one thing significantly better, he'd be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He's got skill set. He's got even decision-making under pressure. The problem is, for whatever reason, he can't connect. It would be what I imagine the same thing if Ben Simmons decided to take 15 threes tomorrow night against the Rockets. Sixers are playing the Rockets. And it would be that same scenario. At Shando Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. The Twitch channel's up. Maze and Aton. We'll go to Philadelphia or here in Philly and bring out another voice in 20 minutes on the second level here on Espination Radio. But that's it. That would be the equivalent. That's the sport analogy that I can think of here. Is that 
Ben Simmons putting up 15 23s tomorrow night would be an eyesore. Not to say that he wouldn't hit more than two or three. He probably could hit, you know, four or 15. But for a guy who never, ever shoots, to see that, Josh Allen hitting somebody consistently 20 yards down the field would be a miracle. And, uh, you know, we're past the holiday of miracles right now. So I don't know really what you're looking at, depending on your faith, and what you're going to sit around and wait for another couple of months and hope and pray that this thing happens, but it'll be too late. You need this on Saturday, and it's way too late for this guy to just create a skill set, for him to just find this new skill set. It makes no sense. Yet people are in love with this Bills team. From a betting standpoint, from a discussion standpoint, this is not how we opened up an hour ago talking about the difference between the pundits, the national pundits and experts saying the Saints, the Saints, take the Saints, where people actually went with their money to their books or bookies and took the Saints to the point in which it actually dropped it a little bit. This thing opened up at plus three in Houston with the Bills getting to points. And since then, I don't understand this at all. 49% of the bets on the Bills, 59% of the money on Buffalo. So some sharp money, not a ton, but still some sharp money moving it down a half point. And here we are where even people who move the line are entrusting their faith upon Josh Allen. I can't do it. I don't know about you, I'm sorry, but I can't do it. I wouldn't bet this game. Look, it's not to say that, therefore, the Texans are an automatic lock. The Texans have had their troubles. The Texans have laid some major eggs. And, yeah, I get it. Somebody has to host a football game when you win your division, as bad as it may seem. But in this case particularly, it's not even that the Texans themselves come into this thing 12-4, and 13-3, dominating the AFC South, it took a lot for them to get there. And to be fair, it's a tough division where they have a wild card component in there as well with Tennessee, but for the purposes of Bills-Texans, you don't have this dominating machine that Buffalo's just going up against, hence that two-and-a-half-point number. Fascinating to me that the love affair from both a betting an expert standpoint, an expert, I say, not from a sports betting or gambling, more from an analysis standpoint, would have this team so heavily loved. I don't get it. I, it's a variable. There are a few variables in the NFL that I would stay away from when it comes to just picking down to betting. Even if you don't want to apply any money to it and you just, oh, well, who do you have this weekend? Having a conversation with your buddy, your brother, whoever it may be. Stay away. Stay as far away as you possibly can. I think it's a major mistake. And I get it. Somebody's going to cover, but it's way too tight. And the variable of Josh Allen is way too unpredictable. There's another game that's not. There's another game that's a slam dunk. But there's also a big rumor out there now that the news has come out about 45, 50 minutes ago that Jason Garrett is no longer the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys that we have to explore because it does involve what I would think is the biggest name to date associated with this team. At Shander Show is how you get me on Twitter. 
Facebook is up as well, Aton Shander, the amazing Aton Twitch channel, so you can follow and watch along on a bunch of different platforms. And again, in 15 minutes, here in Philadelphia, bring on another voice and get the Eagles' perspective beyond just my own. You know, It's one thing to put out my toxic fandom, but I'll get a more objective voice than Jeff Mosher. It's SB Nation Radio. Beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. So over time since I got here, we have regenerated, we have rebooted, so to speak, and done a lot of things behind the scenes that needed to be done. Uh, John alluded to them yesterday. Um, we've completely redone our scouting situation, our pro, how we look at college personnel, how we look at pro personnel. We have, we're in the process of, we've hired four computer folks, uh, uh, software, and we are completely redoing our back end of our college and pro scouting systems. That's another man who offers very little in the world of inspiration. Huh. I felt so much better today as a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Really, it, it's still 1129 on the East Coast. So I'm going to ride this thing into midnight. And I want to make sure that I at least begin this tweet. And at Shander Show, if you care, can follow along. But today, on January 2nd, the year 2020, I felt so much better as an Eagles fan. You've got the general. Now, that didn't come out today, right, Jack? That was yesterday, I believe. Dave Gettleman stumbling through some awful analogy about the computer guys and rebooting and just sounding so old and out of touch. Okay. Yesterday, of course, is now getting reaction to it and, and whatnot. But you see a team that is just going absolutely nowhere with this supreme level of confidence boasted by their general manager, David Gettleman, that there actually is reason to be hopeful about this football team. (laughs) Yeah, the reason to be hopeful about this team is that he's going to hire Jason Garrett, and then two years from now, the Tish and Mara families are going to fire both of them. That's the only thing I'd be hopeful about right now if I'm the Giants fan. Think about this. I'm sitting here with the Philadelphia Eagles team, quarterback who is throwing to practice squad guys. Forget you out there in Iowa, Florida, Texas, California. Forget you who have never heard of Greg Ward or Boston Scott. People in Philadelphia a month and a half ago never heard of Greg Ward or Boston Scott. These are the guys that are now taking over this Philadelphia Eagles offense, coming off the practice squad. They have two healthy wide receivers, and they win the division. Let's just look at it. Let's just run down the list. That's the general manager of a football team 
so bad, so out of touch, that not only did they just fire their head coach, who was brutal, the job he had before he got that head coaching job, but they're racing. They can't wait to go hire Jason Garrett, who just got ran out of Dallas. And that brings us to Dallas, who, for some odd reason, needed an extra two and a half days, Tuesday, Wednesday, mainly two and two-thirds days to three-quarters days, Thursday night, to fire Jason Garrett. What does that tell you? It took this long to make the most obvious head coaching decision there was out there this year. Hell, it was even put out earlier this season, about two or three weeks ago, where changes would be made at the end of the year if, in fact, this team couldn't make the playoffs. What is going on in this division outside of here in Philadelphia? No wonder the Eagles won this division. Do you realize how dysfunctional of an organization you have to be to take that long to fire the most obvious candidate to to move on from in the NFL? What was there to deliberate? What was there to go back and forth about? And, yeah, sure, you'll get whoever the hell you want out there that you want to bring in, and you'll ruin that person's name as well. It's almost as bad as the Redskins. And that brings us to, and we should play this one more time, that brings us to Daniel Snyder, who, if you thought Jerry Jones had the worst day today, waiting until 1040 Eastern time to bounce out his head coach two and a half days after Black Monday. It, in fact, was Daniel Snyder, who couldn't even get the month right as far as introducing Ron Rivera, who lied, I think, not Ron, but somebody in Ron's camp lied to us about this whole idea, and maybe he was just a writer, I don't know, but somebody out there lied to us that Ron Rivera was a legit canning a legit coaching candidate for the Dallas Cowboys. Because nobody would rightfully and willingly choose the Washington Redskins chaos over the Dallas Cowboys chaos. If you think it was bad in New York, if you think it's bad in Dallas, listen to Daniel Snyder just completely butcher the introduction to Ron Rivera. Good afternoon. Um, First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Today is the beginning of a great new year for the Redskins organization. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. How do you miss that? The Skins, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants. One of these teams doesn't belong. One of these teams has distanced themselves from the others. And you know what? It's really just by default. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I'd love, oh, the Eagles are set up. They've got stability at the quarterback position. But Daniel Jones looks like he could throw the football. Dak Prescott's not bad. As much as I love to rip on the guy, he's not bad. I don't know what the hell's going on in Washington, but nobody does. The point of it is is that it's not like the Philadelphia Eagles or the New England Patriots and are just dominating talent and coaching and scheme and all these things. The Philadelphia Eagles are just the team not screwing it up. Isn't that fascinating to you? Isn't that just when you step back and look at this whole thing, It's something that just doesn't happen often in sports where you have a winner of a bad division and there's just so much chaos. And in the NFL, you're going to find smaller divisions. That's fine. 
but you have so much chaos with the majority of that division. And really, the one team that is good or rises above, it's not the New England Patriots example where they are just dominant. It's just, you know what, the Eagles are normal. They're normal. It's like a family. Look at these four teams as family members. Brothers, sisters, cousins. They all come together at the table. Thanksgiving. Daniel Snyder's Thanksgiving table. Three of them are whack jobs. Stay away from him. Stay away from her. Don't even go near that one. Well, what about, oh, yeah, no, Philadelphia? No problem. Philadelphia's great. Philadelphia brought the pie. Philadelphia won't talk politics. Sit next to Philadelphia. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. As far as how we prepare, how we approach the game, nothing changes. You know, it's, it's another game. Obviously, we know what's on the line. And, uh, you know, at, uh, to some extent, you know, we've kind of felt that way the last few weeks. You know, we've kind of had our backs against the wall. And it's a one-game season. One-game season. And uh, we're excited about it. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun on uh, Sunday afternoon at home. We're, we're thankful for that. They've played playoff game after playoff game. It's four straight weeks, technically, if you want to look at it, to get in there. Beating the Skins, beating the Giants again. The Cowboys are between there. Bouncing back from an ugly, awful loss to the Miami Dolphins, where everybody, including our next guest joining us on the hotline here, Jeff Mosher, covers the Eagles, NFL, and beyond for 97.3 ESPN, at Jeff Mosher, NFL, Inside the Birds podcast with Adam Kaplan. So, take us back, Jeff. What are you and the city going through the Monday morning after the Philadelphia Eagles find a way to lose to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, that was, um, <laughs> that was rough in the city. Aton. That was, that was kind of like, I don't know, whatever the opposite of the icing on the cake would be because, you know, they had already lost to Seattle and already lost to New England. And that was the game that you were hoping the Eagles would start their, their turnaround because that really was supposed to be the game that started their five straight games in a row of uh, subpar opponents. And that was when everything was supposed to kind of click. And oddly enough, their offense improved in that game. They scored over 30 points, but the fact that they still lost it um, at the time was pretty much rock bottom. I think it's fair to say that was rock bottom. All right. So now What's changed? What changed from rock bottom to three years in a row finding a way to once again make the playoffs? Well, it's a great question because the the answer doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> what changed is the Eagles suffered a lot of injuries to really decent or good players, Jordan Howard being one, although he was already hurt, but he continued to be out. Um, Alshon Jeffrey being the other, and Nelson Aguilar, you know, that's three guys who going into the year were counted on to be big producers for them. Uh, Nelson from the slot, and, you know, they'd already lost to Sean Jackson, who was also going into the year supposed to be a big producer and had a big game. So in a very, I guess, a twist of fate, you call it, right, those guys are pretty much lost. And what happened then is that Doug Peterson had to 
bring in guys off the practice squad, uh, promote Greg Ward, you know, start playing him, sign a few guys that nobody's ever heard of, Robert Davis being one, get J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, a second-round pick who's barely played all year, get him on the field a little more, and then build the offense around the rookie Miles Sanders, who Doug had kind of used interchangeably with Jordan Howard, never really gave him the, the keys to the car, so to speak. And so now he has all these players, Boston Scott, another kind of practice squad running back who is what you would call a poor man, Darren Sproles, because he can catch the ball, he can run, he's kind of quick and shifty. And what Doug had to do is take all these kind of misfits, right? This is like the land of the misfit toys in Rudolph, right? And figure out a way to make it work. And so he designed an offense that really was about getting the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands a lot quicker and trying to get these guys in some kind of functional space for them to be able to move the chains. And why that was so effective is because Carson had really developed some bad habits about trying to get the ball to Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Ertz all the time, holding on to the ball and not really checking the ball down and seeing the whole field. Well, now Doug created an offense where Carson had no choice but to throw the screen to the left, throw the screen to the right, you know, run the ball a little more, throw it over the middle. And it's kind of funny over a four week process here, they played teams bad enough where they could get away with that. And what you see from Carson Wentz now is a guy who's getting rid of the ball a lot quicker, throwing with anticipation, throwing with timing, things that he wasn't doing when he had way better players to throw the ball to. So it's it's a weird way that it kind of fixed the big problem with the offense, and I'm sure it's not one that Doug wanted to happen, but this is the reason why they've been successful, that and the fact that they played four, you know, really or three really lousy teams, one of them they had to play twice. So I'm curious, just when you look at this football game and the line itself is at one and a half, it's been bet up and down a little bit. I'm curious if you look at the Seahawks, and it's a little bit of a twist, uh, the hypothetical here. If the record is the same, they're still an 11-5 and team coming into Philadelphia. But instead of that road record being 7-1 and and the home record being you know, four losses, it's flipped. And they're not as good. They're not the NFL's best road. That's the only variable that I'm changing here, Jeff, is that the Seahawks come into Philadelphia Sunday not as the best road team in the NFL. How much do you think that changes the line and people's predictions? I do think it changes it. Um, I think part of the, the Seahawks allure, if there is one this year, is the fact that they've been an average home team, but they have gone and played not just a lot of road teams have been successful in them, as you pointed out the record, but I think we all, all of us who follow the NFL closely know that there's like this really dubious um, history or statistic of West Coast teams that have to travel to the East Coast. It's really more about 1 o'clock games on the East Coast, East Coast and not all Seattle games in the East have been at 1, but I think four right. of them have, right. and they've won all four of those. So they've been a wonderful team in that situation, and that's a really difficult situation for West Coast teams to thrive in. And then the second part is just Russell Wilson playing like an MVP. But you're right, if, he, if it was still reversed, it's still what they've done on the road this year, I think that has really probably making Vegas think about favoring them in this game, and that's why they are favored. Well, now it's down to one and a half. It's getting close to just a straight pick them at this point, especially in the playoffs. Where is the confidence right now in a matchup or something that you've seen over the last four weeks or just somebody on the personnel outside of a player 
that the Eagles can exploit mm-hmm. in order to give confidence they can win this football game? Yeah, well, the, first of all, the game is kind of like a Spider-Man meme, right? It's like Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man yeah. because for every injury <laughs> that the Eagles seemingly have, it's like the, 40, uh, the, the Seahawks are like, hey, hold my beer. Right. Um, and it seems like every day that goes by, there's a new report about somebody who isn't going to play. So I would say this. Uh, the Seahawks, uh, they've played so many close games this year, which is also part of their allure, but the fact that they can't beat, pull away from anybody is a little bit of a problem for them. I think their net points this year is only about 20 or something. It's very, it, it's not comparable to other teams that are, have 10 or 11 or 12 wins that have, are like plus 60, 70 or plus 80. So they're not a team that I think will pull away, and they're a team that's going to struggle to play from behind because they really like to run the ball and set up their play-action pass, but now they have no running backs. I mean, Marshall Lynch was decent for not playing in a year, but he, he's coming to Philly against the number one, not, I should say, yeah, number one home defense uh, in the league since Jim Schwartz took over that defense. So I think they're going to have trouble running the ball, establishing the run with Homer and with, with Lynch and maybe a little Turbin, and that's going to put Russell Wilson in a position where he's probably going to have to make a lot of plays through the air, which he can do, but the last time he tried to do that here, he was sacked six times and only completed 13 passes. So the Eagles were on to that. Um, I think, and you don't usually see Doug do this, but since his offense is producing fairly well with his last four games, I think it might be smart of him to actually take the ball if they win the coin toss and try to get up immediately, if not by three, or if not by seven, maybe three, and try to get that early lead. If they can get an early lead and force Seattle to get away from running the ball and have to throw it, I think that will be their advantage. Jeff Mosher joining us at Jeff Mosher NFL on Twitter, 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey, Philly, Eagles, NFL, Inside the Birds podcast with Adam Kaplan as well. Three names. It appears all three are going to be out, correct? Zach Ertz, Brandon Brooks, and Lane Johnson? Well, there was a report today um, from my buddy John Clark at NBC Sports Philly that uh, that Zach Ertz, has told people he's, he's going to play and wants to play and is expecting to play. That is shocking to me. Um, I've heard, talked to two doctors who say if you have a lacerated kidney, it's nearly impossible for you to be out on the field within six to seven weeks of the injury. Yeah. So I don't know. I, maybe the messaging we're getting, which is not uncommon from you know Doug Peterson and the Novacare, is not what we're, we know. So maybe it's not really a lacerated kidney. Maybe it's just bruised. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Um, I... I really did not think he was going to play, and I'm surprised by that report, and I'm skeptical. Uh, and the same thing with Lane. I think he's kind of 50-50 right now. He'll be testing it. wouldn't surprise me if he gave it a shot, but I don't know how effective he's going to be. Uh, I know when he sprained the ankle, like last year, he missed two weeks and was able to get back on the field with a high ankle, but this year's sprain was more severe. All right, so let's look at this. Against the Seattle Seahawks specifically, who mm-hmm. of the three, let's assume all three are out. You've got one, if not the best right guard right now in the NFL. You've got one, if not the best right tackles in the NFL. And you've got one of the top three on any given weekend tight ends who's also the key to this offense moving down the field in Zach Ertz. If you could only get one back, like bring one back to life, who would it be? Probably Ertz. Uh, I, I think the way the offense has been built lately to get the ball out of Carson's hands and the way Clowney has been kind of banged up and not as you know tenacious as he's been in the past 
I think the Eagles' offensive line can hold up a little bit, even without Lane and without Brandon. You know, Big V has played, who's, who's the backup at tackle. He's been playing for a long time. I don't think he's very good, to be honest with you, but he's way better when he has a week to prepare. So, but if you're asking this team to now, you know, which already lost to Sean Jackson, already lost Nelson Aguilar, already lost Alshon Jeffrey, and Miles Sanders left last game with an ankle injury, and he's going to be not 100%. To go out there and score points without Zach Ertz, that's a that's really true. tall order. Um, so I, I would, for them, I would say the most important player to have back, if he's 100%, would be, or even close to it, would be Zach Ertz. Uh, well, feel free to retweet this, Jeff, since you're up, and I know that it's going to be uh, not a long night, to say the least, when we hang up. But I, I just put <laughs> this out about 10, 12 minutes ago, and I don't know if I can encapsulate my joy about being an Eagles fan any more than today, outside of seeing a Super Bowl parade, et cetera, off the field. Think about what today was for the Philadelphia Eagles. All they did was just wake up and be normal. The Cowboys took two and two-thirds of days in order to fire the most obvious off-season departure that there was out there. And I don't even know what the hell took so long You've got Washington, whose owner doesn't even know what month it is, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving, introducing Ron Rivera, who somebody lied to us that he was a true candidate for the Cowboys because nobody in their right mind would go to Washington over Dallas. And then the Giants, you've got David Gettleman, who is chomping at the bit to reboot, as quoted by Gettleman himself, this organization with all of people but Jason Garrett. Yeah. Um, as I like to say, there's a lot of hold my beer going on in the NFC East, I, and everybody's drunk right now except for the Eagles. They're just seriously. <laughs> this is I'm telling you, this is da- this is Daniel Snyder's Thanksgiving table, and you've got four relatives. And don't nope, stay away from him. Don't talk to her. I wouldn't even go near that one. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, if you just want to be uh, have a normal, no politics, sane conversation, just go sit next to Philadelphia. It, it feels that way. It feels like there's like three creepy uncles at the family dinner and just one person who wants to be out of that situation as fast as possible. Yep, yep. I love it, man. All right, brother, appreciate the time tonight, as always. Eagles win, right? Because I'm going to have Greg Bell on an hour from now, and he's out in Seattle for the News Tribune, and he's going to tell me Seattle's going to win. So who's winning this game? Um, uh, Man, you're going to have to listen to my podcast. I hear my kick, man. (laughs) Do I have to? I got to spill the beans now? Yeah. No, no, no. Just direct everybody to the podcast. How about that? Well, that's what I was trying to do. Because I have, I, there's a little bit of a, a of a carrot that I dangle with my pick. So you gotta you gotta listen to the podcast to find out. All right, sounds good, brother. We'll do that. Plug the podcast then before we get out. Yeah, Inside the Birds podcast. Me and Adam Kaplan. Uh, you can even find it on Twitter at Inside Birds. Awesome stuff, brother. Thank you. You got it, brother. All right, Jeff Mosher at Jeff Mosher NFL on Twitter. We'll wrap the hour next. It's SB Nation Radio.
scratching beneath the surface. It's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. So I saw this sad story in Buffalo. Now here I am ripping the quarterback. The guy can't throw past 12 yards at all. Forget consistently at all. And you have three siblings, Bills fans, Lisa, Leslie, and Ryan. Lisa and Leslie Ruiz and Ryan Fred kept their late mother close to their hearts. They had her ashes placed in three separate pendants. Since the mother was a huge Bills fan, they decided to go to the game wearing the pendants around their necks. And one of the pendants was gone following it. So they put a plea out to the Bills Mafia. And a fan found one of them, tweeted a photo of it, and sad story, has a positive ending, somewhat. The siblings were reunited with part of their mom. The third pendant still remains lost. Oh, man, that's tough. That is a tough punch in the gut right there. You figure you you get two-thirds of the ashes back. Bill's Mafia does their part, but still, one is out there. And if you know, like, what kind of rat, what kind of crumb knows they have a pendant of somebody's mother's ashes, and they're holding on to it, trying to hawk it at some store? 